Hey everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. I am your host, Vinny Russo. And I am your co-host, Dr. Aaron Stansfield. And we're shifting gears from all the conventional fitness narrative you hear on most fitness podcasts, as our main emphasis lies in preventative healthcare, adopting a holistic approach to nutrition, and challenging the traditional views on various fitness topics. Our mission with this podcast is to provide you with the information you need to achieve optimal health. In today's podcast, we will be discussing the new GLP-1 weight loss drugs and how they may or may not affect the weight loss industry. Um, I thought this was a good philosophical question, and I wanted to delve into how the industry would be affected by these new weight loss drugs. Um, I think, if anything, it's going to be a philosophical discussion. Um, but in particular, I wanted to discuss how it might affect the business model of personal trainers and nutritionists such as yourself, Vinny. I think it's a, it's a very relevant topic and I think it needs to be discussed to be honest with you. Good. I was just going to say, what are your thoughts about these drugs? Uh, well, with these weight loss drugs, um, I'm all for them. If they're being used by the people who actually need them or qualify for them, like you like to say. Um, because if they can help reduce their obesity, thus improve their overall health and quality of life, I'm going to support it. I just don't like the abuse of it or, you know, people using it mainly for vanity reasons, which really just illustrates always looking for the easy way out. Like instead of doing the diet and the exercise and tracking your macros and calories, like we'd rather just have something quick, fast, and easy. Um, I feel like there needs to be a, a strong foundation of habits to be able to keep the weight off because you are going to see some some weight loss with a decent amount of weight loss with it. And you need to have habits to help sustain that. And the best way to do that is to have people um, that are actually going on it work with a company like, like, like we have uh, because we actually teach this to our clients. We teach the fundamental habits. Um, I've read a few... Uh, negative things about the weight loss drugs. I, like I said, I support them as long as they're being used for, for the right reasons. Um, but one of the negative things that I've read about, and I, I could see how it makes sense, is, is really going to be the muscle loss. And I know our friends, the Nadoskis, uh, not really our friends, but we follow yeah. them and they like some of our stuff. Um, I know they preached a lot of resistance training with um, with its use. So spitting it right back at you like with with that being said with with the one big negative that i feel is associated with it what's the research say about you know muscle loss with this is that true or is it just well i'd say? i'd like to first emphasize that we are talking about drugs just so that we're clear like ozempic Wagavi, monjero these kind of drugs that are glp1 agnes um so with that being said, um, if you think about it, any weight loss intervention results in some um, lean muscle loss, right? Like when you go on a diet, you're going to lose fat, but you're also going to lose some muscle. Even, you know, any bodybuilder will tell you that as they're prepping for competition. And the, the goal there, again, is to lose the least amount of muscle um, along but and the most amount of fat. Um, but I think, uh, this topic became really popular with social media, right? Yeah. Um, like Peter Atia, I might be butchering his last name, um, made some controversial remarks about, um, this particular concern of lean muscle mass loss with use of these drugs. Um, so if you look at the studies, it's confusing, 
Um, I have to be honest. Um, so there are studies. It's always confusing. Why can't it? Yeah. It's never straight to the point. I mean, come on. Right. Um, for example, like one of the first meta-analysis that came out, they looked at uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists, and they compared that to different anti-diabetic drugs, um, oral drugs, such as metformin. And what they found that the, uh, um, while there was loss on both, right, they had uh, muscle mass loss and body weight loss. Um, and they were looking at patients with type 2 diabetes, but it looked like the GLP-1 receptor agonist, so these particular drugs that we're speaking about, showed a significant de decrease in fat-free mass compared to placebo. And then they compared that to metformin, and it appeared that there was not a significant um, fat-free mass loss with metformin as compared to placebo. So could I um, interject really quickly, just yeah. real quick? So with the fat-free mass, it also includes things like glycogen right? Um, and water within the muscle cells. So if they're on, um, like I know these GLP ones really, really reduce the appetite if you're not eating um, enough, or if you're not eating a lot, especially people with their mindsets always on carbohydrates being the devil. So they're going to, they're going to shy away from them. Um, would that not play a role in showing a more of a decrease in fat free mass or no? Yeah, I, th I think there are a number of co confounding factors here, right? Um, and so I, I think to, to be able to actually make a conclusion from this, especially even the study design is difficult to conclude. It's, it's more of an interesting start to mm. ask this question. Yeah. Um, if anything, uh, there was a more recent study looking at, at Ozempic in particular, um, and it uh, did reduce um, weight and fat mass in obese patients. Um, and they they did find some muscle loss, right? Um, but the muscle loss um, was less than the fat loss. Mm -hmm. So in other words, um, they looked at like 43 patients. They all had a BMI of 33. So they all were considered obese. And they looked um, at them after six months of treatment with Ozempic. And what they found with their body composition analysis is that the loss of skeletal muscle mass was about 1.4 kilograms. So roughly three pounds. Um, and it was significantly less than the loss of the fat mass, which was 5.6 kilograms. Um, so you're looking at more like, um, you know, 12, 12 ish pounds. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line, I think, um, and the takeaway is that the percentage of fat mass loss to lean mass loss is favorable. So in other words, you're going to lose more fat and Granted, you have to look at the population again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these people have more fat to lose because they're typically looking at people that have higher BMIs or at least are in the overweight to obese range um, to lean mass muscle loss. So um, you do get some loss, um, but it's still favorable. So um, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I think you have to, uh, one, like you said, have good habits. And two, I think there's going to be continued research in this area um, because it's a very um, sought after area, right? Um, how do we keep just in general, how do we keep muscle and just lose the fat mass? So uh, I think for people at risk, uh, they continue to get improvements, not only in losing fat and maybe a little bit of muscle loss, but um, the people that really need it get um, improvements in blood pressure, glycemic control, cardiovascular risk factors. Um, so you got to look at the big picture as well. There are many benefits, especially if these people are 
at risk for other health factors. Yeah, I think it was pretty important that you said, you know, taking a look at these people that they have a lot of weight to lose. It's almost like a client coming in, like you have two clients that come into us. One of them, you know, has a good like 60 pounds to lose to get maybe to let's just call them a normal body composition to where someone comes and is like 10 pounds to lose. You're going to see a greater rate of loss with the one that has all the weight to lose. It's going to come off a lot quicker. And um, I think it was important to make that distinction. But coming back at you uh, with, a, with, a, with a multiple choice question, but I'm going to give <laughs> yeah. you the answers here. Now, I'm always saying that because I remember seeing Bill Campbell put this on his uh, social media. Um, and he said, when people lose fat mass, what's the ratio of fat to muscle loss in general? Um, so I think, uh, it varies, but roughly it's two to one, mm -hmm. uh, varies by age, gender, um, physical conditioning, obviously. Um, but I would say if you were going to take an average, you know, it would be two to one. So 10 um, pounds of fat loss, five pounds of muscle loss. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to put it in those numbers, yes. Um, this is actually pretty consistent with, um, the step one trial data, um, when they were looking at Ozempic, um, they, they saw this kind of ratio of, of, um, fat to, to lean muscle loss. Again, when you lose weight, you're going to lose, uh, fat, but you're also going to lose some muscle. It just always happens. Um, and we try to preserve as much muscle as we can, but you're always going to have some lean muscle loss, unfortunately. Um, and I think the goal should be to minimize that muscle loss as much as possible, right? That's, that's the goal of any weight loss program, even in very well-conditioned people. Um, and I think that the only way to do that is to continue to resistance train um, and to have the right nutrition including the appropriate amount of protein, um, uh, especially for your, um, body habitus and your, um, you know, this is why it's so important to have a nutritionist. I feel like, um, because they can calculate and help you with, to guide how much protein is, um, appropriate for you, um, to maximize your one muscle gain and then minimizing your loss. Um, I don't think that you can just, know that right off the bat. I know that there's some, you know, estimates out there, like, you know, 1.5 grams per, of, of protein per, um, pound of weight. Um, and, and those are just very general calculations. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I mean, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but if you look at the people who could lose the most amount of body fat while maintaining the most amount of muscle mass, your mind should go right to bodybuilders, right? They're the perfect example of this. Um, and if you think about it, weight training is synonymous with bodybuilding. So it's an integral part. It, it really, really needs um, to be emphasized, especially if you're using a, um, a weight loss drug that will or potentially make you lose some muscle mass. So I think having that weight training aspect in there is going to be crucial. To, you, you need it to, to at least maintain the muscle mass. And like you said, the protein and stuff. But in regards to, to that... Um, Everyone should know my answer here, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I'd like to see where your head's at. Can these weight loss drugs be used as a standalone treatment? I know we're touching on a little bit here and there, but just can they be used just by themselves? Um, yes and no. <laughs> um, I think personally, you need diet and exercise. Um, will you lose weight if you use these drugs? Yes, that's what they're designed for. Um, 
But I will say that all the trials that um, have the design of lifestyle changes first to see where the study population goes, and then they implement the drug, right? So, so they um, most of the the studies out there that are looking at these drugs will implement some sort of lifestyle change for from several months um, for their study population, and just you know as a preventative medicine specialist i think that that's very important um, diet and exercise are not only important for weight loss and body composition but for longevity um, resistance training in particular um, and a you know diet um, that has a, an appropriate amount of protein um, is very important for for longevity and um, i often think that that gets um, neglected and we don't discuss it enough um, but when you're 80 years old you're going to have you're going to want to have um adequate nutrition and adequate strength um and hopefully you know we all live 80 and beyond and yeah. with good quality um and if you want a good quality of life these things become very very important it's funny cuz we were watching that movie um the equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington and uh he's in Italy and it's a part of Italy where there's a ton of steps and yeah like it was almost considered a blue zone, right? Because yeah. you have all these people and like, that's a form of resistance training when you're carrying your weight up steps, especially yeah. when you get to that age. So it's very, very important for, for longevity. Um, yeah. But in terms of like what I feel about this, I, I see these weight loss drugs as more of like a facilitator, right? Something that will help the process of reducing obesity in, a, in an individual. But as a facilitator, that means that it needs to help the foundational process. It's not the foundational process, it's a helper. Um, and the foundation of reducing someone's obesity, um, you really need to emphasize proper nutrition while incorporating some intentional movement and honestly, adding some form of resistance training, just like we said, like walking your weight up steps. But if you don't have those foundations in place, no matter what the catalyst, for lack of a better term, is um, that you use to expedite the results, you're always going to return back to start. So you need the foundations. I don't think it could be a standalone product. I think you need those foundations similar to, to what you said. Do these drugs, is there any research that shows that they can promote like some, some sustainable or, or long-term weight loss? That's an excellent question. Um, obviously, if you stay on them, yes, <laughs> they will continue to um, help you maintain your goal and, and meet your goal um, if your goal is to lose um, fat, right? Um, if you stop, uh, for example, in the step four trial, participants were randomly assigned to continue ozempic treatment or switch to placebo after 20 weeks of therapy. Um, the people that continued to take ozempic continued to lose weight, while those who switched um, regained about 6.9% of their body weight. So they did get some weight back on after they discontinued the program. And these were people that were still continuing some of the lifestyle changes. Um, but again, it becomes very important, not only from a weight loss perspective, I think that's really important to emphasize. Um, diet and exercise are not only important for weight loss, it's very important for longevity and um, for quality of life as mm -hmm. you age. Um, and I know that you know our population tends to be vain and wants to look their best. And I think that's that's one goal, but I think we need to look at the big picture here too. Yeah. And when you said that they gained, you know, about 7% of the body weight back, um, that's actually pretty damn good. Um, right. Only 7%. Still, yeah. That's, yeah. It's like they're keeping their sustainable they still, results. They but still benefited. Said, yeah. yeah but you said like they stuck, they still stuck to um, 
the fun, what was it? What'd you say? Oh, the lifestyle modifications, yeah. right? You still stuck mm -hmm. to those. Do you think that the 7% is mainly because the appetite came back? I, you know, I, I would be, um, conjecturing at that point. I, mm. I, I don't know why exactly, um, their, their weight came back. I, I think that's, there's a lot of confounders there. Yeah. I, I don't really see people, um, paying for this effective drug forever, um, as a sustainable method for weight loss. Um, that's just my opinion. I, I don't think it's sustainable, especially with how pricey it is. So what, what do you think, um, the new wave of medicine, cause this is very new, um, and it's hitting off big. So what do you think the new wave of medicine will be since now we, we do have a pretty damn good, efficient weight loss drug drugs, um, uh, for yeah, plural, um, out there now. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, the big issue um, in our society has been obesity, especially in the U.S. population, right? How do we um, decrease um, the amount of obesity in our country? And now we have drugs that that are um, that target that. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, drug developers are actually looking at mouse models now, looking at how do we um, preserve muscle mass, and they're looking at myostatin and blocking it. Um, and biotech startups are pursuing this, um, to create, you know, better drugs that, that might preserve that, that muscle instead of, um, just losing the fat. And I, I think that's going to become increasingly important, right? Um, I feel like we have, uh, now a, a very good group of drugs that are getting better and better to lose the fat. Now it's going to be how do we preserve this muscle? I think that's the next wave. And we've learned that inhibiting myostatin isn't enough for disorders like uh, muscular dystrophy or spinal muscular atrophy. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a problem that's still being solved. Um, so I think there's more to come. I think there's going to be more mouse studies and hopefully eventually there'll be human studies um to look at how do we preserve um the muscle without um while losing the fat yeah you would know better than i would but um my understanding of myostatin was that you know it basically takes off the roof of how much your muscle can grow like there's no limit right i didn't know it preserved it was more or less like it could just keep growing um past its genetic potential because now the roof is taken off. So it has unlimited capabilities to keep growing. So am I off there? I didn't know it preserved it. It, it can preserve muscle as well. Well, I don't think we have the answer to that, right? Mm. Um, we just know that if we um, block it, then we do have um, an increased muscle mass. Yeah. And, and I think like, well, it's cool to like push the boundaries of muscle growth without limits. It's essential to consider that the heart is also a muscle. And overgrowth in that particular muscle is going to lead to premature death. Um, but I will most certainly guarantee with how vain society is that people will take it even with that risk. I guarantee it. Like if that comes out, you're going to have a bunch of people jump on board. Most likely a lot of them will be bodybuilders. Yeah, this is completely getting into a philosophical range. <laughs> yeah. I think what what is interesting though is that you look at our obese population and a lot of these drugs are um, decreasing the cardiovascular risk by decreasing um, you know, the, their um, BMI essentially and, and making them have healthier um, lab parameters, for example, putting them in a different cardiovascular risk category. And at the very other 
end of um, the extreme are the very fit people. They're also dying from cardiovascular events. Yeah. So I think it's interesting if you look at the two dichotomies here of the very extreme of, of, you know, people that have high BMIs that are at higher risk for cardiovascular disease and the people that are uh, very fit um, that might be doing other drugs that also have the same, I mean, it's not the same, but they are also dying of heart issues. Um, it's kind of an interesting um, issue. Yeah, it's like both extreme ends of the spectrum are seeing the cardiovascular risk increase. And yes. Yeah. So I have my last question for you is, and that's kind of why I wanted to to do this podcast is, um, do you think as a nutritionist with all these drugs on the horizon um, that are really quite effective, um, and I think they're just going to continue to improve, um, do you think nutritionists and personal trainers will still have jobs in five years? Uh, in my own opinion here, and I am very biased, I don't think these drugs are going to take over. For one, I think that they're very expensive. And with more demand of them, yes, there'll be more supply, but with more demand of them and how much people will pay for vanity, um, I don't think that the price is really going to go down that much. So I don't think it'll be um, it'll be different, but I'm not sure about the price in the future. Uh, but when I look at this, like people need accountability, people need the right game plan, people need structure. They don't need a Band-Aid. They've been trying the whole Band-Aid things for a, for a long time. I mean, you look at, at the perfect example I could give you is like a client that tries different coaches, right? They lose weight, then they gain it back. And like, all right, I'm hopping from this coach to the next coach. And the same thing happens. They lose weight, they gain it back. They lose weight, they gain it back. They get tired of that shit. And it's like, then they finally come to us and they realize, oh shit, like I could actually do it sustainably now because of the foundations that were taught to me for me to take on forever. So if you're looking at like a drug, I feel like, yeah, they'll take it until they get to a point to where they won't need it. They're going to gain the weight back. They're going to take it to get to a point where they don't need it. They're going to gain the weight back. And it's going to happen to the point where they'll be like, I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of wasting money. I'd rather just invest in hopefully a great coach that can, or coaches that can help me take it off the right way and sustain it, right? Um, I, I just think it would be really, really cool though if for the people who need it, they are paired together with a company like ours, right? Um, because that's going to ensure that they have the proper education going forward through their life to help sustain the results. Now, maybe it might not work for everybody, but at least it gives them a better chance to help sustain those results because they become educated. They learn how to become aware of food, food conscious, understanding, you know, the different um, nutritional values of different foods. It all just helps with that education to help them make a better choice in the future and not revert back to needing the drug again. Yeah. I think, um, you know, you touch on obviously the lifestyle changes and I think the most common question I get from patients is, all right, if I start this drug because, you know, they, they do meet the criteria and it, they would benefit, right? The most common question I get from those subset of patients is once I get on this drug, when am I going to get off of it? Right. Because they don't want to take it mm -hmm. their entire lives. Yep. And to be fair, there are some people that probably might need that. Um, it, it depends on the patient and th what the risk factors are. Um, but I think regardless of whether, 
whether you're in that category of taking of having to take this drug forever or hopefully you're not in that category but if you are or you're in the category of not having to and get off and getting off of it how you still need those lifestyle changes period mm -hmm. um they're so important not only from a weight loss perspective but like i said from a longevity perspective resistance training is always going to be important and it's going to become increasingly important especially with these new drugs the better they get at helping you lose the fat mass right yeah. um so i think you know that's my plug for please continue to be active please continue to resistance train and make sure that you have a diet that is adequate for your goals, um, yeah. especially mm -hmm. with protein intake. Yeah. And I, I think just to touch back on like nutritionists and personal trainers, like the drugs, the weight loss drugs aren't going to do the weight training for you. They're not yeah. going to help increase the bone density. Right? Yeah. If you look at the weight loss drugs, you might have nutrition deficiencies because you're losing all the weight, you're, you're at your appetite suppressed and you're eating shit quality food because you don't know you don't know mm -hmm. any better. So right. I don't think it could take over just for those aspects alone. Yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You want to make sure you have a good quality diet for sure. Yeah. yeah. On behalf of Balanced Bodies, we just want to say thank you for joining us on this episode of the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. We are committed to bringing valuable content. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd greatly appreciate it if you can take a moment and like it and leave a five-star review. On Apple, just go to the show, scroll down to the bottom and rate it there. If you're on Spotify, go to the show's page, click the three dots, and you can rate it there as well. And if you believe in the power of knowledge, share this episode on your social media to try and get the information out there to as many people as possible. And as you navigate your own path towards better health, remember that Balanced Bodies is forever in your corner. See you all next time. The podcast content may include discussions of medical topics and health-related information. However, the information provided should not be considered exhaustive or complete, and it should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment.